0: Today's episode is on grief and how we've dealt with grief in the last year, what's been helpful, what some of the hardest things were that Neil and I dealt with through this last year of grieving his brother Dave's death, and hopefully some helpful tips for you if you ever find yourself in a position where you have to deal with grief too. I just wanted to mention too, we so appreciate when you guys take the time to leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us grow. It helps people discover this podcast, and I wanted to read one that I loved from... Just a couple days ago, it's entitled Just Amazing, and they said, I love, 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 with all caps, this podcast. Keep them coming. Thank you so much, Corinne, for taking the time to record them. Thank you for taking your time to listen. We know that you're really busy and that it means a lot to us when you take 45 minutes to an hour to listen to an episode and then provide us with feedback on what you're loving. So keep the reviews coming. We really, really appreciate them. Okay, today, you guys, we are joining you from Los Angeles. I'm looking over the hills of LA, which, the, I mean, it's kind of close to home, but also a little more than two hours away from home. So, our little home away from home here at Dear Media Studios, and I'm with Neil.
1: Hello.
0: And we are going to discuss a topic that has, we've had many people ask us to discuss, and I don't know that we were really ready. I don't even know that we're still ready to talk about it. I don't it we are, It's not like we're experts, but I feel like we've at least learned a little bit, so we are going to discuss the topic of grief today because last week was the one-year mark of Neil's brother, Dave, um, passing away, so we are just going to talk about what we've learned and what we've experienced and hopefully provide some useful tips or ideas or thoughts that might help someone who goes through something similar. I think we should start off with the fact that I th- probably the most consistent advice that I've gotten from anyone who is in a position where they've counseled a lot of people who have gone through grief is that grief looks different for everyone. Yeah. That was something that um, the people at what was the name of the mortuary that worked with us? They were um, it was in
1: uh, Larkin in Utah. Larkin, Larkin Mortuary, amazing.
0: They people. were really, truly amazing. I mean, I had kind of a perception in my mind of (laughs) mortuaries being like these people that like they prey on weak people who are desperate in situations of feeling very vulnerable. And they were anything but that. They were the complete opposite. And they really helped with giving us some advice right off the bat that was helpful. And that was the very first piece, which was grief looks different for everyone and to allow Neil to grieve in whatever way he needed to. So that was helpful for me to start off with. But it was hard, too, because I felt like my DMs um, on Instagram filled up with people saying things that I think were well-intended, but kind of set me up for feeling like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be insurmountable or more difficult than I can possibly handle, which I don't feel like it's ever been at the point where I felt like this is so difficult. I don't don't even know what to do. And that's something that I feel like we can have, you know, that I look to God and feel like he is the reason why I've never felt like this is more than I can handle. So on my own, at least, you know, I feel like because of our foundation and faith, we've been able to work through a lot of these things. But anyway, um, let's go to you first, Neil, and talk about where you're at and what what you've experienced and what you think has been most helpful to you.
1: Yeah. And I mean, just a backstory, like I think most people know what happened, but um, so just over a year ago, January seventeenth last year, Um 2019. I, of twenty nineteen, yeah. So my brother um, Dave, who's about four years older than me, um, we've been super super tight our you know our entire lives. He's a, a broker, realtor, and had some rental properties. He was going to evict some tenants who hadn't been paying um, as agreed, and we don't exactly know what happened. But there was an altercation and um, one of the people there shot and killed him. Um, and then there was a series of events um, that, you know, were pretty disturbing on on kind of how things played out from there. Um, that it, it took a while for the, the police to discover, you know, where they'd hit. They actually hit his body in the property. And then um, they they kind of had to track them down from there, and so they, you know, they're they're currently, you know, they did find find the individuals. They they are in jail um, and awaiting trial right now. But um, so as for myself, it's been up and down. I think that initially there's so much, like it's such an enormous experience, and with you know getting together with family and and that was really helpful to be around one another and have really powerful spiritual experiences. And and I, you know, had really great experiences and the funeral was great um, to reflect on the positive things about Dave. But I think there is a point where you come back to life um, during your normal kind of quote unquote normal life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then it's kind of like, all right, well, we got to keep moving forward and and moving on. And so...
0: That was hard for you.
1: That was, yeah, that was hard. I just it's just one of those things where it's like, I kind of walked away from that. Um, and I remember running into somebody from our church and he's like, Hey man, how you doing? And I'm like, you know, I just don't know that I'm ever going to be the same after this. And, and, you know, it was, a, it was an interesting moment for me and, and that's okay. Like, obviously that's a life altering experience. And so.
0: Well, I remember a year ago, just before we move away from this too quickly, that you had a really hard time at first coming home and feeling like, now I'm just supposed to go back to normal life. Like we're supposed to just buy groceries and, and go to work and do things as if nothing happened. That was something that you expressed to me over and over again. That was really hard for you. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that was really tough. And I think, it was hard to feel. I, I think a lot of times leading up to that in life, like I just would be like stoked. I'd be, I'd go out and I loved where I love where we live. I'd you know it'd be beautiful outside and palm trees and just feeling good about life and appreciating the little things. And then suddenly I just it, the capacity to do that wasn't there. I, I'm like, man, I just nothing would just stoke me out right now. Like nothing would would make me feel good. Um, you know, I felt I, I did feel obviously was really trying to engage in spiritual things and that was obviously what kept has kept me going of you know prayer and scripture study and you know we go to the the, the temple and um, you know church and all these things and and the spiritual actions is what I really relied on. And I'm continuing to rely on. But I think there was just kind of an overall sense of just feeling sapped of the joys of life and wondering if that would actually come back. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was a long time where I'm like, man, I just don't know if I'm ever going to feel good again. And it felt like it was going to be kind of a permanent type of thing.
0: I think, too, another thing to bring back to your memory is that when we went through this, there were extreme highs along with extreme lows, right? Yeah. Like extreme like spiritual highs. Like really so, I mean, things that we wouldn't discuss in a podcast that were just very tender and very personal. But I think—and then there were just the very monumental ways that we celebrated Dave as a person. He had this incredible funeral. You can listen to Neil's talk from the funeral on our very first episode. We included that at the end. And I think there were things that just gave a great, I don't even know the word for it, like celebrated Dave's life in a way that felt monumental. And it felt like we did justice to the incredible man that he was. And I think that those, you know, huge things and huge ways that we celebrated his life, along with those spiritual highs, obviously intermixed with like the lows too. You know, there were some extreme lows. And then I think we came back from all of that and you were like, now we just pretend it never happened. Not pretend it never happened, but I think that that was— I watched you really struggle to go from— it almost felt like you were doing better when we were processing and grieving and celebrating yeah. and experiencing those highs and lows, and then to come back to just normal life was super hard. Yeah. So that's something that I wouldn't have known to expect because I really hadn't dealt with grief in— um I I don't even know how many years. I mean, I was almost 30 years. Like I was six years old when I lost the last person that was close to me, which was my grandpa. So all of this was really new to me. And then a lot of it was familiar to Neil because he had lost a sibling before. So it was helpful when we had open lines of communication. And I felt like it was helpful when Neil at first was good at talking to me, talking to others. I remember you would say, I just need to keep talking, right? Like, why was that important to you? Well,
1: and that was something that I felt, that was actually something I learned in recovery is kind of like bringing the inside out. And when you do that, um, that it gets, it gets things out into the light and puts them in proper perspective. Whereas I think a lot of times if I would, Isolate and and stay with my own thoughts. Then it was like a closed loop, and it was just me trying to you know spin these thoughts and process everything. And a lot of times, my understanding of of situations is a lo- is off and out of whack. And then you know it, it leads to a lot of negative emotions and negative things. So. That was one thing that I that I learned and I knew was important just from going to 12-step meetings and being a part of recovery is just to be open and almost just be an open book. It's super uncomfortable. Um, but I would just talk to people and for a, for a while initially, people would ask me how I'm doing and I'd tell them and I think it threw them off a little bit. They're like, man, how are you doing? I'm like, you know what? I'm not doing great. I don't feel, you know, and I would just kind of spew it out. But it was good for me to do that and it was helpful and therapeutic and I find even now um, I have to continue to do that. And it was especially with Corinne to, Mm -hmm. you know, be willing to talk about, hey, how are you feeling? And, and describe that.
0: I think the times that we've dealt the best with grief have been when you and I've had really good communication and the times when it's been the most difficult, like our rough patches in the last year have been when the communication isn't as strong. Would you agree? Yeah. So, I think that's totally key. And I think too, when people ask you, they might be a little taken aback when you start opening up immediately about how you're actually doing, but they want to help. They're not asking. Yeah, people are really, really just being polite. I mean, I remember you ran into somebody in the parking lot of um, Baja Fish Tacos. That's who who I was talking about. And Uh, and you just kind of started opening up. This guy from our church. Yeah. And I think that where he might have been a little taken by surprise that you were being so open, I promise you that he's the type of person who he he wanted to He actually cared.
1: Yeah. He really, and I could, I could tell. And man, people are so cool. Like really, I'm thinking back to an experience. It was about a week after we got back from Utah from, you know, funeral and all that experience. And we were just trying to get out. And I think it was just like, let's just go someplace that's going to make us feel happy. Went to Disneyland, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like the happiest place on earth, but trying to just kind of, kind of deal with it. And I remember running into somebody that follows Corinne on, you know, your Instagram and just was so cool. You know, initially just kind of started talking like, Hey, yeah, I follow your wife. And then she like came up and gave me a hug. She's like, Hey, I know about your brother. And and I just want to say like, I'm sorry. And that was such a cool thing. I'm like, wow, this is some, you know, person who barely knows it well, they just know us through, you know, online, the internet. But it just showed me like the the human kindness that people have. And that really makes a difference. Yeah. And the every and little feeling thing. that like every little thing. And it's it's well intended. And there's nothing you can say in the situation that's gonna like make it better. And a lot of times it's hard to know what to say, but you can see the intent that people have and you can feel kind of like, Hey, you know, we love you. We care about you. I, you know, we want you to feel, you know, that we're there and we're here for you.
0: Yes. And I think too, there were people who dropped things off, who we, who go to church with us, who we had never even had a real conversation with. And those things meant so much. And that taught me that if you know of someone going through something hard, you don't have to be their best friend to reach out and do something kind. And yeah. all of those acts of kindness meant a lot to us. And I would say, too, one of the th- things, the biggest things that I learned through this experience was that when people say, we're praying for you, that that really carries you. That I think before this experience, I had never felt, I'd never been on quite been on the receiving end like that. Where you can just feel the power of people praying for you collectively. And so it really taught me a lot about when, you know, you know, someone, I kind of before this experience had felt like if it wasn't someone very close to me, that maybe my prayers weren't as valid. If I was praying for someone who was a stranger on the internet, or you hear about like a natural disaster or some, you know, a shooting or something really horrible happening, and you're praying for those people, that actually those collective prayers really do contribute to that person feeling lighter and feeling lifted. And I remember feeling a distinct difference between when those prayers were happening, we could feel that, and then when they kind of started to go away. Do you agree? Yeah.
1: No, I definitely, that's something that that you can feel it, that there's like a very, very strong. And since then, I've had times where you know, I've just kind of opened up at, at different points and been like, "Yeah, you know, I'm, it's still hard. It's still a struggle." And then people have have followed up with me and been like, "Hey, just so you know, you know, we're we're still praying for you." And and that's cool. And you can feel that power. And you know, it's been a really, it's just been a, an interesting experience. I think you know, time does kind of start to to heal things a bit. Um, and I think that in the last, you know, month or so it's, it's gotten a lot better for me. I think the holidays were really tough. Mm -hmm. Um, it was kind of like round one or year one of like my birthday, I'm a, I'm a November birthday and then, um, Christmas. And that would be the time that I would see my brother. And so I was doing good. And then my birthday came around and all of a sudden it just get, you know, and I, I was told this, that grief comes in waves. Like you will just get hit and have, you know, a few days or, or several days where you'll feel that. So that was something that I had to, to recognize and be honest with myself about. A lot of times I'm the type of person that's like, oh, no, I'm good. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm okay, I'm okay, and that's just kind of how I grew up. But um, I had to trust, I think, trust Corinne a lot, and, and when she would say, hey, I, you know, you seem off or you're having a hard time, I'd have to kind of accept that and be like, you know what, okay, let me look at it. And be honest with myself about where I'm at.
0: I think we should talk for a moment about grief and addiction, because another thing that I think has been a surprising experience for me is watching someone who has struggled with addiction in the past still like stay sober through a grieving process. Yeah. I, I distinctly remember going to a 12-step meeting in San Clemente and the the facilitator, or is he the group leader? Doesn't matter. Yeah. Who runs that meeting. He's this like, Neil has talked about him before many times. He's this like salty AA guy who has 30 something years, 35 years or something of sobriety. sobriety. He's incredible. And he had talked many times about when his son passed away from a drug overdose, the only reason that he didn't reach for a bottle of vodka or whatever was because he had done the steps and because the steps... And recovery sets you free of feeling like you always have to turn to a substance to drown out your sorrow or to drown out any negative feeling. And I remember hearing him say that and thinking, there's no way. There is no way if something that drastic happened to Neil in his life that he would be able to withstand that and not turn to his addiction. And it's been incredible to watch you over the last year be able to still abstain from your addiction and so Do you want to talk about maybe if someone has that fear? Because I legitimately had that fear for a long time. Like if something happens to Neil, he'll for sure go out.
1: Yeah. For me, that was something that I think I'm sure everyone was a question on everyone's mind. Mm -hmm.
0: Um,
1: And I remember thinking that I remember thinking like, okay, yeah, if I ever had a reason to go out, this would be it. Um, And I, and I think, I don't know, I don't know. I have a friend, my friend Jay, um, you know, I've, I've, would future trip at different moments, and that's one of the big fears of like, okay, what if, what if I go out, or what if this happens? Would I, you know, would I relapse? And something that he said to me was super helpful. And this was before you know everything went down with my brother. Um, he's like, you know, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, you know, you a lot of times people say like, you know, I've got a month sobriety or six months of sobriety, and you know, hopefully things will be good. Knock on wood. And it's like, dude, knock on wood, nothing. Like if you do the work. And you put in, you work the steps, and you work the program. Like it's not there's there's not like a voodoo magic to it. It's like you do the work, and you'll get the blessings. You take the actions, the feelings will follow. You like you do these things, and it actually like it'll work. And and God will be there, and you'll get the support that you need. The the problems come in is when you don't work it. Um, so for me, I've had to just uh, luckily up to that point, I had figured out for me what actions I needed to take each day, which dailies I needed to do. I'd work through the 12 steps. I had a sponsor, I have a sponsor. Um, I'm going to meetings, I'm taking, I'm doing the basics that I knew and know that I have to do in order to stay sober. And that's what's worked for me. And when there were times that were a bit sideways, the answer was always in the manual. I'd go back to whatever step that I was on and that's where it would, I'm like, let me go back to the instructions. You know, Same as if I'm building like a piece of furniture from Ikea or something, if it starts not working and I'm like, this isn't fitting together, I have to go back to the instructions and look at where I'm at and figure out what's going wrong. So the steps allow for that. So it's been having to focus, the solution's been the same. And that was one of my questions early on was like, okay, grief is different, the situation is different are these principles going to apply the same way? Mm-hmm. And what I have found is yes. Um, they, they are the solution. The solution is still the solution because they're built on eternal principles and truths. So it's something that, like I said, I'm sure a lot of people thought like, okay, you know, something's going to happen here. Um, but it was cool. It was cool to pick up a three-year chip and I didn't even think about it. And then one of my, my buddy from the meeting, my buddy Xander, he's like, dude, you know, he shared and he's like, you've had a freaking hard year. Yeah, You've gone through, through some serious things and you're picking up your three-year chip. And, and that was like, I'm, I had to stop and I'm like, oh yeah. Like, wow, that is cool. I almost forget about it. Um, but it's, it's just, it's no different. The, the play is the same and the results will be the same. But I think the temptation is is to to have something like that happen and then get a little sideways and ski wampus and start and, and stop doing the things that work
0: yeah I will say from a spouse's perspective of someone who's married to an addict that i don't want to sugarcoat this and make it sound like oh grief has been easy it's been beautiful it's like you know it's it's been a gnarly process and it has been a learning experience for me to watch some of those similar behaviors and i've told neil this i've been super open about it there have been similar behaviors that used to tip me off that something was wrong with his addiction um yeah, just being like irritable. What was the phrase that you used?
1: Uh, it's restless, irritable and discontent. Yeah, it's restless, like an irritable AA. and
0: discontent from the big book, right? Yeah. That oftentimes I would I would sense those behaviors from Neil and I would feel immediately like something's wrong, you know, he's, you know, something with his addiction is not right again. And I have had to learn that a lot of those same behaviors have happened just while he's been in this grieving process and had to really um, rely on the spirit. It's interesting. Someone just barely reached out to me and said, I, I'm i falling in love with this guy. We just decided to be, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend. And then he just told me that he has an addiction to pornography. And she said, what do you think? What do you do? And I sent her the article, and we can put this in the show notes of what— um, I wrote for our church about I decided to marry a recovering pornography addict, but I just basically wrote her back and said, your job, your number one job, is to stay close to the Spirit, because if you have the Spirit in your life, then it will be able to tell you truth, and it will be able to tell you how to deal with every situation. And that's what I've had to rely on. Like I've had to stay even more diligent about Scripture study and prayer and making sure that I'm in tune with the Spirit, including making sure that the things that I'm consuming media-wise and um, even just like on my social media scrolling and whatever are not taking away from my ability to stay tapped into the spirit so that I can rely super heavily on that to know, is this something to do with Neil's addiction or is it, it, do I just need to let him grieve? Do I need to be there for him? Do I need to back off? Those are all things that I've just had to rely on the spirit to kind of help guide me through, because this has been a completely new process for me.
1: Yeah, and I think on the flip side of that, it's been the same thing for me. I think when I w- am focusing on the spirit and doing spiritual actions and trying to stay close to God, like my thoughts are, I think I can frame the situation at more accurately and and get the right perspective. Mm-hmm. But when I feel like I'm, f- I'm maybe fading away from that a little bit or that's when I think the the struggle comes in. And then all of a sudden I look at the negatives of the situation. I get caught in what happened. I get caught in the whole, you know, the details of it. and And that can easily overshadow the whole situation and who Dave was and is. And yeah. the positive person and, and things that he's done and really what the legacy is that's come out of it.
0: And that focus, I feel like that's kind of my word for 2020 is focus. Because I feel like when we focus on who Dave is, was, whatever, and what he wanted people to get out of life, that brings so much joy Yeah. into. And and I feel like the one-year anniversary was very, very unexpected for me, a really happy day. Like we started out at the temple And Neil and I both came out just with the impression that Dave wants us to be happy. He wouldn't want people sitting around like sobbing and feeling sad and feeling sorrowful. He would want people to wake up and recognize, oh, my gosh, I have one more day than he had on this earth. Like, let's make it count. Let's make sure that our relationships are in check, that we are showing love to people, that we're living life, and we're doing things that matter, you know? And I think Neil and I have had some really great, deep discussions about what is this life even? Why are we here? you know, because it's all going to end for each of us. Nobody lives forever. We're all going to have some point where our life is over. And then you have to look back and say, what did I do? Did I impact anyone? Did I use the tools and the gifts that I had to help people and to make a difference? Or, you know, do I have regrets? And I think when we've kept that perspective and we've looked at okay, really, this is not about how did you make your money? How much money did you make? What status did you have? What, you know, all of those like really dumb worldly things that I feel like Satan wants you to get super like sucked into. Those are the things that keep us distracted from the whole point of being here, which is what's your impact? How are your relationships? You know, are you doing what God intends you to do with your life? And when we keep that perspective, I feel like it's easier to not so much mourn his life but celebrate his life, you know, Dave as a person, and then also just see so much good that came out of his life versus feeling so much sorrow about whatever was taken away from each of us, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think and, – and that's – some of those impressions, it's interesting. I've just had a lot of experiences that are really powerful um, spiritually of just kind of feeling, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm not like a psychic friends network kind of guy or anything like that. But but I think I've had feelings where I can f- kind of feel him saying things to me and and there's an understanding there that like one, he's totally – he is more than good. Um, he's in an amazing place and there's, there was a reason that everything shook out the way that it did and there was a purpose for it, something that he had agreed to before he came here and that, um, there's, there's work that he's doing that he needed to be back, you know, in, in, in that realm for. And then I think also that he doesn't want anybody to be taken out by what happened. Um, and doesn't want anybody to, you know, to have that overshadow, um, their memory or experience with him you know, obviously myself included. But at the same time, one thing that I've taken comfort in is knowing that he gets it and he understands. So that as I have struggled or had bad days, there's kind of this temptation to compound it and be like, oh man, Dave would be so bummed with me right now because I'm just struggling and he would just be disappointed. And, and I think I've gotten the impression that it's the opposite. It's like, look, man, I understand. I lived through it. I get it. Which he did. You know, we lost another brother to, su- uh, to suicide when we were younger and that was a really trying time for him, uh, my brother Dave. So, um, you know, he lived through that and he got it. So, you know, our loved ones who have passed on, they they don't want us to be taken out and just completely wrecked by what happens. But I think they understand and get the mourning and loss component of it and have a mm-hmm. lot of compassion for us. Um, but I think that we would frame it very differently if we could understand and see it from there perspective.
0: Yeah, I agree. I there's something that keeps coming to my mind that I I guess I should share. And it's that you were talking about spiritual experiences and I have always felt a very sensitive like a, a sensitivity. heightened sensitivity to um the spirit world, to angels or to spirits that, you know, have passed on. And it's always been in a fearful way. I've always been kind of afraid of like, I don't even like weird movies where like spirits are haunting buildings or whatever. You know what I mean? Like yeah, those yeah. kinds of things have always like extra super duper freaked me out. And yet it was really interesting when Dave passed away that, um, I mean, I won't share details, but just that he like visited me a few times in my dreams. And then um, just there were a few very specific spiritual times where... And I, I would wake Neil up in the middle of the night and tell him what happened. And I would be like, can can he just not visit you instead of me? Because i I'm, I'm
1: less receptive No, apparently. it was just—it
0: was, it was a brand new experience for me. And it was like kind of hard for me at first. But in a cool way where I felt like I learned that that was a gift of the spirit that I have to be sensitive to the spirit world. And I kind of knew about it, but like I said, in a fearful way. And this taught me to embrace it in— Um, a positive way where I felt like I was able to relay some of those messages and talk to Neil. I mean, this might sound super weird, but it was just a very real thing that I went through. And I talked to a good friend of mine, Lindsay, who has lost both of her parents at different times. And she was able to kind of talk me through, you know, what her experiences have been too. And then, you know, she finally told me as well, this is a, this is kind of a heavy burden to bear. Um, to be the person that is receiving those messages. so if it's too much at any point like you can you can also pray and ask for those things to go away kind of and and I did reach that point where it was a little too much for me because I feel like when you are super close to the spirit world you are getting the positive and the negative right at least that was my experience. I was getting the positive messages but I was also very close to feeling the negative like, um, spirits that were trying to bring us down, and and that was a, a super overwhelming thing for me. And I just, I'll just leave it as simple as this: that Lindsay's advice to me that if there's something too overwhelming, you can pray to have that burden removed from you. At, at the time that I felt like it was right, I did that, and it and it did ease that burden for me. So that, I, that was just another like new thing, and I think that there are different family members that neil has who have certain spiritual gifts and they've been able to communicate with um the spirit world and and i think that um it shouldn't be feared like i guess that's my takeaway from that that i learned that those things shouldn't be feared but embraced and and that you know heavenly father has a very specific purpose for each of us and that sometimes through these really really trying experiences and I'm not – I don't want this to be taken in the wrong way. I'm not saying that Dave died so that I could, like, discover that. But I feel like sometimes we have to go through hard things to discover strengths about ourselves or build upon those strengths, you know. So um, I don't know. Do you have anything to add to that or
1: – Well, I think – yeah. I, I think that just along those lines of, like, you know, you, you can – pray to have that removed if that's, you know, something that's a little overwhelming. But that's some advice I got. I, I'd, I've been meeting with a therapist probably at least once a month, initially, like once a week, uh, just to handle grief and and talk that through and just, just to process it, which has been good for me. But one of the things that we talked about early on that was helpful for me was um, compartmentalizing the grief, mm-hmm. recognizing like, hey, it's okay just to take like one particular part of your day, like an hour or half an hour to feel that, And then it's okay to kind of like block that, you know, box that out a little bit for the rest of the day to be able to get, you know, you you do have to live life. Um, But kind of instead of it just completely taking all of your bandwidth and strength to just every day, that's you're just so caught in it that it's just, you know, you can't accomplish anything or do anything. It's like life still has to be lived. So that's something that I had to do early on. And still, at times, have to do is like, okay, I've hit my, you know, what I can deal with for today, and and it's okay yeah. for me to take a break, and 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 recognize that, and so that's something that that was helpful. Um, and I remember
0: then, you coming home and talking to me about that, and f- I could see a relief, like I could see yeah, a physical like relief. Kind of gave that me you permission had. to do yes, it. Yes, where you were like, I don't have to. S- in the way you explained it that I remember was I don't have to sit in like terrible grief all day to feel like I'm mourning Dave properly, that I'm giving him the grief he deserves or whatever that he, you know, you were like, this makes so much sense to me that I can take specific times that are allocated for grief to process my feelings and not just ignore them. But then, you know, compartmentalize, like you said, and then move on and do other things. It, it was like it, like you said, it gave you permission. And I saw a physical like change in just that burden that seemed to be weighing you down a lot.
1: Yeah, no, it was kind of something that was super helpful for me to recognize. So that was one, something that was really helpful. Um, and then also um, another thing that that really kind of helped me is just one thing that we talked a lot about was like giving yourself a break. Like recognizing like you're not going to be a hundred percent and that's okay. Like you're not going to be a hundred percent for a while. And I was the kid, I broke a lot of bones growing up. I'd always break a bone and then I would just get right back. You know, I'd be like the next week out riding my bike and stuff. Or I remember a couple of times cutting off my cast to go like ride and, and do stuff again. And um, that's just kind of how I grew up is like, all right, let me just get back out there. But recognizing like, give yourself enough time. Like it's okay not to be a hundred percent. It's okay to take a minute and and digest things. You don't just have to jump back into life, um, and be patient with yourself and, and be patient and, and try and be patient with those around you. I think grief is, for me, has been a funny thing. It can kind of take, I don't know, it can, can really, just short circuit things really quickly. And, and I think like a lot of times that, like, I'm just have felt myself at times being really impatient in different situations or impatient with my kids or with Corinne and that kind of short circuiting, like common courtesies and whatnot. And so, um, just recognizing that and, and, you know, accepting that as part of the process, but obviously trying to recognize it and change it, um, and, and be, you know, be thoughtful. To others that you might inadvertently be displacing your grief on. Um, And that's something you could probably speak more to, Corinne. Well,
0: I feel like for me, I've just tried to pray for an added measure of patience and understanding. And I think too, it was very helpful when we were dating, I read uh, the biography, was it biography of your brother, Steve? And that was very helpful for me to understand what that grief process looked like for you as a child, because then as an adult, I could kind of understand with more compassion, okay, this is how Neil deals with grief. And there was a lot of anger, you know, when you were a kid. And then when some of those things would come out, it was less personal because I understood, you know, where that was coming from and kind of what you were processing. And um, so I feel like that was helpful to understand. But I think too, another thing is Um, if you have, you know, I had a lot of people reach out and say, oh my gosh, I'm sorry that you're going to go through this. Like my husband's brother passed away. And I felt like, I mean, there were people who I'm sure were well-meaning and they wanted to warn me, but I had people say, like, I felt like I was married to a ghost for a year or two there. And people who said like, you know, my husband just wasn't the same. I didn't even recognize him. I think those things are helpful in the way that you shouldn't feel alone. If you start to feel like, You know, because there were times where I just was like, I feel like the connection that we usually have is empty right now because it it just wasn't— Neil didn't have the capacity to be emotionally connected to me in the same way that he normally is because of all he was going through. And so having compassion and understanding helped me to not take things as personally But I also, I received those messages with so much fear. And I feel like at first I would kind of cling on to those and be like, oh, my gosh, this is what people were warning me about, you know. And as we've, like I said before, as we've really worked to keep the communication open, and even if that means it's kind of ugly, and I think this is not as. Much in Neil's comfort zone, I think he kind of grew up more with the, like, just don't talk about your feelings. You know, everyone's yeah. like, let all just put on happy face and pretend to be fine. Where, like, in my family, we talk things to death, which isn't always necessarily, you know, you want to try to find a happy medium. But when we've had better communication, I feel like even if it's not, if it doesn't look perfectly beautiful, I at least understand exactly where he's at. He understands where I'm at. And we can work with that so much better than, like, an unknown of well, does he just hate me now? Or, you know, I never felt that way. But it's like when you feel those negative emotions coming from your spouse because they're dealing with grief, sometimes it's hard to separate that between, do they feel this for me now? Or are they just struggling? Or what's going on? And I feel like that communication helps a lot. And then for me, just clinging to those things that kept me spiritually fed so that I didn't feel like I was having to go to you To fill up my bucket, if that makes sense. Like if I felt the love of God and I felt peace and I felt like I was doing things to be fulfilled spiritually, I was more capable to have grace and, and understanding and compassion toward you. Because I was filling up my own spiritual bucket, if that makes sense. And I feel like God makes up the difference during those really hard times where you need to have extra compassion for others who are going through hard things if you are turning to Him for validation. And that's something that I hope to teach our kids. that, like, I mean, even if you don't believe in God, like in the 12 steps, you cannot work the 12 steps without a higher power even if you feel like that's the universe. But for us, that's God, that's Heavenly Father. And if you can get that validation from someone else, rather than looking to your spouse and being like, you're not showing me enough love and you're not, yeah. I mean, you know. Your
1: spouse is going to let you down yeah. at some point or many points.
0: And especially when you go through hard things. I mean, this will not be the last time that we have to go through grief. And I know that. And I, I feared grief for so long because it was such a scary thing for me to lose my grandpa at a young age and he was close to me. And I felt like I would tell Neil all the time, like, I am scared of the day that I have to go through grief and loss because I just, I don't even know that I'll be able to handle it. And now having gone through this, I, I feel that added measure of, I know that with, you know, the things that we've talked about, these principles of staying close to the spirit and being spiritually fed and, um, that through the atonement of Jesus Christ, I can get through anything. Um, do you have any final thoughts about grief or what's helped you or the things that you have learned the most over this last year?
1: Um, I think just be patient with yourself. That one's so hard for me. I don't know why I struggle with that. And I think a lot of people do. Um, and then just understanding that the person that you're grieving, if you could understand things from their perspective currently, it would just change everything for you. And you would f- just feel a lot different and and feel the love that they have for you and, and understand that it's like, it's okay. And everyone grieves differently. And that's something that I learned. Like it, it's, it's, there's not like a, here's the set of what you're going to experience and here's how to fix it. It's like, everyone is different. And, and so it's, it's recognizing that and accepting, but I think there would, you know, is a common theme of, keeping the communication lines open and keep talking and getting the inside out to to be able to process that accurately. I do think that that's something that would be helpful to anybody.
0: Yeah. I think that for me, um, just like I was saying a second ago, not fearing death and fearing, like Neil talked about future tripping, not fearing the unknown, fearing how hard it would be or fearing things that you won't be able to handle if this happens or when it happens like oh my gosh you know this is going to be the hardest thing we've ever done there's still joy there's still happiness your loved ones still want you to feel joy and of course it's hard i don't want to sugarcoat it i don't want to say that like this has been just some like happy go lucky year it has been a really difficult thing but in the difficulty you can still find joy and i think that Um, the talk that has helped me so much that I've read over and over like dozens of times this last year, is called the doors of death. And we should also put that in the show notes. That's a really good one. It's an incredible talk. Our prophet, President Nelson talks about, and this was a talk he gave in 1992, but he talks about if every single person who's ever lived on the earth just was alive, we'd be in a lot of trouble. Like people have to die. That's part of the plan. And that we should welcome it and embrace it and not be afraid of it. And that's something that I feel like I've learned that's been a very helpful lesson to me to just to not fear it, but to embrace it and to see it in the right perspective. And if you can have the right focus, then you can, you know, get through the hard times and then extract the good things instead of just feeling weighed down by the bad things. Yeah. Okay, well... Thanks for well, I think this has been great. It's me. been
1: good, and really cool to revisit and and think about those lessons. I mean, there's a lot more obviously that that I could say and we could say, and and those are just some general things that you know hopefully somebody out there who's struggling, um, maybe this has been helpful for them or there's something they can relate to, yeah, um, and and find some peace.
0: Yep. We hope this helps. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow.